I'll never forget Christmas morning when I was 10 years old. I was so excited, like most children are, to open up all their presents and see what they got. I was really hoping to get one particular gift. It was an electronic talking battleship board game. Now, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a really cool game about Navy, and you can destroy your opponent's naval units, and it talks to you. And I was so excited. And open all the presents, no electronic talking battleship. I did not get what I was so excited for. And I did what any child would do, right? Walk up to mom and dad and say, even though I'm so disappointed, I'm so thankful for what I got. No, I didn't. You know what I did? I sat there, and I was grumpy, and I was complaining, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was a victim. You know why? Because I got a watch. That was my Christmas present, a watch. And I thought, a watch? A watch is like a notch above, like, underwear or undershirts. It's like, it's useful, and it's for a greater purpose. And yet, I didn't want a watch because it doesn't talk to you, and it don't, you can't blow stuff up. So I was sitting there, angry, ruining Christmas morning with the sourpuss, Matthew, sitting on the couch. And, and my very godly mother walks up to me. And I was hoping she said, surprise, here it is. But no, no, she didn't. She said, Matthew, you are so ungrateful. God does not bless ingrates like you. You need to repent and be thankful for what you have. And the truth is that I learned an important lesson 25 years ago. I remember vividly, and this is true for all of us, that none of us are ever as thankful as we should be. None of us are. And yet, the scriptures call us to gratitude. And this morning, as we continue in our teaching series called Uplifted, A Journey Through the Psalms, we're contemplating on having thankful hearts. As disciples of Jesus, we all experience different emotions. It's no different for those that know Christ or do not, because we're all human. And all of us feel things. We have negative emotions, negative feelings, like things like pain or sadness or disappointment. We all experience those kind of emotions. But we can also experience positive things like satisfaction or honor or joy or gratitude. And so every one of us feels things, and yet we are called to have feelings that reflect the glory of God. Because our God has spoken. He has revealed who he is and what his character is like. And he has revealed that we are all sinners. And his son came. And as we just sung powerfully, died on the cross for us. And so the price has been paid. And we now can experience forgiveness. And the spirit of God that enters into anyone that repents and believes It begins this process of sanctification, of being transformed, to be more like Jesus. And that includes even how we feel. We all desire to have emotions that are pleasing to Christ. So we can't just let emotions happen. We have to let them be conformed to the image of Christ. 
feelings move us. We have to understand this, and I hope that throughout this series, you've been getting a better picture of this and how feelings move us. So our desires, our, our motivations, our sensations, these things move us, and what we should do is focus on our God who has been revealed. Like every Friday morning, we gather, and we don't want you to be entertained. Every Friday morning, our deepest desire is that you would see God. We want you to see the beauty and the glory of Christ every time that we gather together. And as we read his word, and as we sing his word, and as you hear it proclaimed, may you get a glimpse of God. And as you do, then we will respond with lives of worship. And the more that we focus on this truth revealed in the scripture, the more our hearts are gripped and the more we are moved and our emotions are transformed. And then we're moved to have emotions of joy and of delight in Jesus. And so this morning we're, we're contemplating having thankful hearts. And this morning we're looking in Psalm 138 looked at multiple psalms so far, and we'll continue to do so the rest of the summer. Today we're looking at Psalm 138 as we think about having thankful hearts. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God is good. He is always good to you and me. And our natural response to the goodness of God, as we just read it here, should be to say, thank you. Thank you, God. Our God in heaven, as we read, is so glorious. It says, great is the glory of the Lord. And he is displaying his glory. And there's two primary ways that God does that. That he shows his glory. The first one is in creation. God displays his glory in creation. And so all these immense galaxies that go on for millions of light years, God created by simply speaking. And so when we see just how vast, how enormous all of the infinite galaxies are, they're not infinite. Our God is infinite. But to our minds, it can just seem like they go on forever, but they don't. Our God does. And he just spoke everything into existence. And so God displays his infinite glory in creation. But not just in creation, he also displays his glory in redemption by saving people. 
And so God glorifies himself, so he displays his wisdom, his glory in saving rebels like you and me. And that's the focus of Psalm 138. It describes God revealing his glory by saving people. So that's what we do. We, we run away. We, we continually run away from God, and we run to other things to find joy or satisfaction, and we're constantly in rebellion against God, and all of us tend to be ungrateful or selfish, and we, we tend to want to please only ourselves and live for our own agendas. And our God is holy. He is absolutely, perfectly holy and pure without any sin. And so you and I, as much as we don't like to admit it, we offend our holy God. We break his commands. We hurt each other. We have thoughts that don't glorify him. And so because of our sin against an infinitely holy God, we as humans stand condemned. We stand convicted before a holy judge. We're rebellious to him. And yet, God loves us. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, and we are resurrected, made alive in Christ because of the great love with which God loves us. We don't deserve it. And yet God lavishes, he pours out his mercy and his compassion on us because he judged Jesus on the cross in our place. And so what is the result when someone believes, God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, I repent of my sin, I give you my life, I trust in you and the finished work of Jesus on the cross when a sinner repents and gives his life to Christ and is just overwhelmed with gratitude at what Jesus did on the cross, what happens to a person? They're changed. That rebel now wants to run to the Father and desires Jesus and wants to please him and hates his sin and wants to be holy because God is holy. And he wants to have reconciled relationships. And he wants to put away the pornography. And wants to put away the gossiping. And he just wants to enjoy Jesus. He does this through the power of the gospel as his spirit works inside of us. And he changes us. And it's all to his glory. It's absolutely remarkable what God does. How he changes hearts that are selfish and become generous. And we want to give. And we give freely. It's, it's something that the world sees and can understand as, all oh, they're just fanatics. No, we're not. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been transformed by Jesus, gripped by his glory. And this is not of our own doing. This is the work of God. And when he does this, and he takes sinners, and he changes us into saints being sanctified by the Spirit, he's glorified. And so as much as God is glorified in creation, he is even more glorified in salvation. When a sinner repents and turns to Jesus, it is more glorious than all of the galaxies because those galaxies don't reflect God's image. Those galaxies is not who Jesus died for. He died for you and for me to redeem his children. God's grace for us, his mercy is so glorious. 
We so don't deserve it, and he's so good to give it to us if we just receive it with faith. Grace is the apex of God's glory. When I say apex, I mean the highest point of a mountain, the, the precipice. And so grace is the highest point of God's glory. It reveals his glory the most. Grace is the apex of God's glory. And so what we see here in this psalm, this main idea, the primary truth that we see in this psalm is that God deserves our gratitude because of his grace towards us. He deserves it. He deserves our thankfulness because of his glorious grace, his mercy that he has had for you and for me. And so gratitude is a feeling. It's a, a, something that we feel that's a natural response to something. If you get a gift that you really wanted from a person that you really love, then you're going to respond with gratitude. If you get a gift that you didn't really want, then you might not respond with gratitude. Like me, when I was 10 years old, I, I didn't like what I got, and so I did not respond with gratitude. And so it's a response to receiving something, to having something done for you, and thankfulness has to be cultivated because a lot of times we don't respond with thankfulness, even though we should. It won't just happen. Gratitude will not just happen. I'm telling you, if you have little kids, and if you don't teach them to say thank you, they will never say thank you on their own. They will grab their brother's stuff. They will hit you as a mom. They, their children on their own are not going to be little beautiful angels that say, oh, thank you, mommy. They won't. None of us will. You have to teach children to be grateful. We have, to, we have to be instructed on this need to be grateful. And when we're adults, it's no different. We still have to have great, um, gratitude cultivated. So let's look at this psalm a little bit more closely. Let's look at this because what we're going to see is how, how to have a thankful heart cultivated. When we value God's grace, I mean, when we really see more glory in God's grace than anything else, when we treasure God's grace, the result is gratitude. And so there are three traits described in this passage, this psalm, three character traits that will take root in our hearts when we genuinely treasure God's grace. So in the first one, if you're taking notes, so treasuring God's grace will produce a thankful heart. So treasuring, cherishing, desiring, valuing God's grace to you will lead to, it produces a thankful heart. You see it in verses 1, 2, and 3 in this psalm. David says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. The first line in this psalm captures this main idea, this primary truth. He opens by saying, I give you thanks, 
O Lord, with my whole heart, saying, thank you, I give you all the thanksgiving. And the second line gives a little bit of context. I was to understand what was happening. He says, before the gods, I sing your praise. And so in, in the, about 1000 BC, when David was writing this, there still were other gods that were still being worshipped, sadly, but it's true. Israel has always struggled, just like we continue to this day, struggle with idolatry and worshiping false gods. And so even though, yes, there were false gods that were still around, he is in the temple, he is in God's presence, and he is worshiping who? He's bowing down before the one true God. It's before you, O Lord, you, personal Lord, personal name, Lord, I bow down to you in your presence. And so he is worshiping the one true God. And he says, thanks to your name, in verse 2. Verse 1, I give you thanks. Verse 2 again, I give you thanks to your name. Someone's name describes their character. So I like it how I've noticed here in Abu Dhabi, I talk to people, and it seems to be more of the Indian subcontinent, for some reason, just I guess in the culture. But I'll meet someone, they'll say, what is your good name, sir? They always ask them, oh, that's awesome. I've never heard that before. But here they ask, what is your good name? And that is a very powerful question. Do you have a good name? Or do you have a bad name? Your name captures your character. So may all of us have a good name. May we, have, may we be people that have a good name. Good character with integrity where we're trustworthy. And so that's your name. And so God's name refers to who he is, his character, that he is infinite and holy and merciful and glorious and wise. That's his name. That's who he is. And so he says, thanks to you for all that you are, God. I'm overwhelmed by who you are in my life. I'm just so captivated by your name, by you, by what I read in your word and who you've proven to be in my life, thanks to your name. And he says that you've exalted your name in your word. And, and so he's talking about your word as these promises. The word of God, his word, his promises to be faithful. And then he says, why? He says, for your steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, I thank you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So God deserves our gratitude because of his grace towards us. He's experiencing God's presence, and he's just overwhelmed. He says, your name is exalted above all things. Talk about your word. And, and again, he talks about his name. And in verse 3, David affirms, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. So saying that God is trustworthy. When we pray, he hears us. He's always faithful. He's faithful to us. I was talking to a sister just last night. They moved here just five months ago. And they love this church. Actually, her name is Linda. She plays the keys. You may have seen her up here. She's, she's getting transferred to Elaine. And so they're moving probably next month. And she, her family's in the U.S. And so she got this shocking news last minute. She's like, I don't understand. I love it in Abu Dhabi. I love my church. I love the people I'm doing life with. And I'm on a mission here. I, I didn't want to leave Abu Dhabi. Now I have to go to a lane. And, 
And I could hear her fighting back tears, and she says, but God is faithful. And I was like, sister, you're exactly right. She says, God won't forsake us. There's going to be a church for us there. It's going to be okay. I'm trusting. So I loved hearing a sister in the middle of, not despair, but great frustration, telling me on the phone, but my God is faithful. That's exactly right. He is. He is faithful. He provides for us. He won't forsake us. And David is affirming that, and he's saying thank you to God. So here King David is treasuring God's grace. He values it. He knows he's a sinner. If you read David's life, oh man, he was messed up. He was a sinner just like you and I are. He knows that he's desperate for God's mercy. He knows he doesn't deserve God's goodness. But how does he respond to God's goodness? He says, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. I give you thanks to your name. Gratitude. See, in light of God's overwhelming generosity towards us, we should always respond to him with thankful hearts because God is pouring out his blessings. And so every day, our response should be thankfulness. But do we ever lack thankfulness? You know, ingratitude is at the heart of sin. So ingratitude is at the heart of all sin. So every single time that you and I sin, we do every day, every single time that we sin, at the root of that sin is ingratitude, a lack of thankfulness to God. You see it with our original father and mother in the Garden of Eden. Let's just think back for a second. They had it all, right? They, they were probably fairly attractive, I would think, because they were without sin, right? They were young and in love and enjoying each other and could run around naked and not, not worry about it. And they were enjoying each other, but more importantly, enjoying God in this world that was without sin, complete purity, complete integrity. This was as close to heaven on earth as you could possibly get. They had everything, perfect conditions, and yet Adam and Eve were not thankful. They wanted more. When is enough enough? When will we have enough? When will we stop chasing more? When Adam and Eve reached up for the fruit that they were told not to eat from. They were not reaching for fruit. They were reaching for Godhood. They wanted to be like God. They were not thankful for being humans, made in God's image, enjoying God as king and queen over his creation. No, they wanted more. And we follow our father and mother's example every day which is why we read earlier in the worship gathering from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. I'll read you one sentence from that. It says, For although they knew God, humanity, we know God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And so did not worship God, didn't honor God or give thanks. So God's Word is connecting, honoring God, worshiping Him, and gratitude. 
Knowing God but failing to worship and failing to give thanks are connected. Honoring God and giving thanks to Him are interconnected. But why is that? Why? Why are they connected? Why is worshiping God and saying thank you so connected? Because God is a creator. We're the created. All right? He made us and everything else. So everything, hear me, everything that we have is a gift from God. There is nothing that you enjoy that didn't come from God's hand. And so as created, everything that we have, everything that is good, comes from God. He created it for us to enjoy. Even my own life, my life belongs to God. I didn't make me, and beyond that, I was bought with a price. I belong to God. I don't belong to myself. I don't have the right to live however I want. I have to live to honor Him and give Him thanks. God is so good to us that we should cherish Him. We should thank Him continually and have these humble hearts of worship to our God of grace, God of love, and to just say, thank you. Thank you for what I have and for who I am. Thank you for the cross. I will cling to the old rugged cross. Cling to that. Cherish the cross of Christ. Are we thankful? Let me give you a couple of tests. Let me ask you two questions. If you're taking notes, write these down. This is kind of a test for you to think about this week. Do I have a thankful heart? First question, ask yourself. Do I love God enough to be content? So as you pray this week, I want you to reflect on this question. Do I have a thankful heart? First question is, do I love God enough to be content? Second question is, do I love other people enough not to envy them? Do I love other people enough not to envy them? You see, if you're not content with the life God has given to you, with what you look like, where you're from, where you work, your income level, your possessions, your life setting. Some of you here are not married and you wish that you were. And my heart goes out to you. And my wife and I are now praying that God would bring you wives and husbands. We want that for you. But I don't decide when that happens. You have to be content with being single as you trust Jesus that he will bring you your wife or husband in his time when you're ready. And when he or she is ready. But some of you are married. And you wish you weren't married. Well, you need to be content too. If your marriage is hard, well, God bless you with it. Well, Pastor, you don't know my wife. No, I don't. But God blessed you with her or him. And for your sanctification. Maybe right now it's hard. But you promise for better or worse. Okay, it's worse. Okay, pray more. Sacrifice for her or him more. You'd be surprised what God can do when we follow his word. We need to be content. When we're not content with who we are in our life setting, it's rebellion. 
at its root, that's rebellion. You're rebelling against God and saying, God, why don't I have this? Or why can't I do that? Or why does my brother get to do that? Or why does my sister have that husband? Or why does whatever, and we look around and we're not content with who we are, and we're actually rebelling against God. And remember, rebellion is at the, at the root of sin, rebelling against God. So when I lack contentment, when you lack contentment, you have either forgotten that God is God or you're not submitting to him. And so a lack of contentment shows that you are not thankful for who you are and what you have. And when we see other people and what they have or their gifts or their calling or their ministries or their spouse or their vehicle or whatever, and we want it for ourselves, We're saying to God, you have not given me enough. I don't agree with how you've made me or or my life, what it looks like. It's rebellion. It's not being thankful. Let me give you a mental picture just so you can kind of visualize what gratitude is. Let me help you give you a picture, okay? Think of an echo, all right? Say you were in a room that had very little furniture and it echoes or if you're in a big canyon and you can, you can yell and then hear yourself, an echo, all right, an echo, what it is, it has to originate somewhere. So the echo begins with, say, you, with, with your lungs, vocal cords, and, and you project the sound. So you are producing that sound and then the sound goes forth and it does what? It bounces off of the walls, which is why if your room has no carpet or furniture, it'll echo. Nothing can absorb the sound, so it's just going to bounce around. So an echo is when the sound is emitted, it it bounces off the walls, and then it comes back to the person where it began. So you can hear what you originally initiated, the sound. And so an echo, you know what grace is, or I should say thankfulness is? It's an echo. Being grateful is an echo. Gratitude is the echo of grace reverberating in your heart. And so God speaks it. God gives you. Grace goes forth from God who is. He embodies it. He produces it. So God gives us his grace. It comes into our hearts. And his grace bounces around, reverberates in the walls of our hearts. And then it goes back to God in the form of of gratitude. He gives his grace, and we respond with gratitude. And so, gratitude, what it boils down to, it's the echo of grace reverberating in your heart. And so, if we are not grateful, then that means that we are not treasuring the grace of God. We don't realize how good he's been to us. People that are proud, arrogant people don't say thank you. Arrogant people aren't grateful. And you probably know who they are. Hopefully it's not us, but it can be if we're not treasuring the grace of God. So may we not be a proud people. May we continually repent and run back to the cross where we see grace lavished 
poured on us. And may we respond, echo back, thank you to our Father. And so when we treasure God's grace, it results in thankful hearts. Second characteristic, second trait, treasuring God's grace produces a missional heart. So secondly, we see that when we treasure God's grace, it produces first thankfulness and secondly, a missional heart. Verses 4 through 6 reveal that. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. King David is praying here. He's singing this poem of praise to God, and he says, He's praying that all the kings of the earth will give God thanks and that they shall all sing of the ways of the Lord. So he wants all the kingdoms to recognize that great is the glory of the Lord. He wants all nations, all people, all of the kingdoms that these kings represent, he wants all people, all nations to recognize how glorious God is. You see, because David knows that he's a sinner who is desperate for God's grace. And he wants all people that are living far away who have not tasted the goodness of God. He wants them to taste how sweet it is to be forgiven and to know God. He wants that for them. So he's so gripped by mercy that he wants others to experience it too. He wants all the rulers to taste and see that God is good so that all people can then respond how in verse 4? Give you thanks. Because that's the response of experiencing God's grace. And this right here is pointing to God's purpose. See, God's purpose for humanity is to reveal his glory by redeeming a community of people from all nations to worship him. That's what God is doing in the world. He's revealing his glory by redeeming a community of people from all nations to worship him. And you know what's amazing and humbling altogether? That he uses you and me. He uses us. With all of our brokenness and all of our problems, with how we lack faithfulness to him, and yet he is so good to us that we get to be used by the king as representatives, as ambassadors, to say the king is good and he offers you forgiveness and you can experience joy and have hearts that are grateful if you will bow down and worship the king of kings, if we respond with faith and repentance to King Jesus. And so when we treasure God's grace, what it does is it changes our hearts where we have missional hearts, where we're on mission. We live for his mission. But Jesus gave it to us. So our church here, we are here to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's why we're here. That's our mission is we want God's glory revealed. We want to glorify God by making new disciples. 
new believers and taking existing ones and developing them to grow, to be more like Jesus. And that, that gives him all the glory, and that's what we want. We want to be on mission at ECC off-island. But we have to recognize God's grace to us, and not recognize, but also internalize, and then meditate on it. And we have to treasure God's grace and remember how good he's been to us. And when that happens, when every day you're running back to the cross and you're meditating on how much grace God has shown you with Jesus crucified, you won't be able to stop yourself from telling other people. It becomes natural. You want them to know because they're lost. They don't have that joy and that forgiveness. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're lost in their sin, trying to make sense of life on their own. And we have all the answers. It's Jesus with his gospel. And when we recognize and we truly value, treasure his grace, it produces in us hearts that want to tell others. And so a thankful heart will even lead you to having a missional heart. We must look around, open our eyes, and see people that are lost. And may we have a burden, this righteous, heavy burden for those who don't know Jesus, those who are living without his presence and his care, his forgiveness and his guidance and his joy. May we have a burden for those who don't know. We've received mercy. Let's now extend that and love others in Christ's name every day, truly being on mission, telling others the gospel, living intentionally on mission. And so when we are truly treasuring God's grace, it produces in us thankful hearts, produces in us missional hearts. And lastly, treasuring God's grace produces a dependent heart. Our hearts are dependent on God. Verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Verse 7 is full of hope. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Your right hand delivers me. God will deliver you. I don't know what you're going through. I do some of you, but I don't know everything that everyone here is going through. But whatever you're walking through, if you're in a deep valley right now, you have to hear this from God's word. And I tell it to you, not on my authority, but on the authority of God's revealed word, that God will deliver you. He'll deliver you. Trust in him. Don't look elsewhere. If you'll turn to Christ, he will deliver you. And verse 8 tells us he'll fulfill his purpose for you. He has a particular purpose for your life. Now, the overarching one is to glorify God. But within that, these particulars, the specifics of how you do that, he is going to lead you. He's going to deliver you, and he's going to use you for his glory. So trust him. We must treasure God's grace. And when we do, it produces in us a dependent heart. 
which is why David cries out and he says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, it endures forever. I know that our world doesn't value a dependent heart. It doesn't. Our world values achievement and conquest and independence. That's what our world values. And so as believers say that we'll have a dependent heart sounds weak. But the reality is that when we focus on we're treasuring God's grace, we see ourselves for who we really are. Who are we? We're desperate and we're broken and we're needy and we do need God and we must be dependent upon Him. Self-reliance, you know what self-reliance shows? A lack of gratitude for God's grace. When we are self-reliant and we try to make sense of life and do things on our own and we ignore God, self-reliance shows a lack of gratitude for God's grace. Let's think back again to the Garden of Eden. We talked er earlier about Adam and Eve reached for Godhood. Now, fast forward what happened after they sinned, after they rebelled against God. Now, they knew they were in deep trouble. Just like kids, whenever they, they disobey or, or break the vase or do something bad, and they're like, oh, no, when mom finds out, we're in so much trouble. That was Adam and Eve. They knew, oh, no. They made a mess. And they knew it. What did they do? How did they respond to the mess that they made? They relied on themselves. They tried to clean up their own mess. They tried to cover up their shame and their nakedness with fig leaves. They did everything they could to clean up the mess and make it right and cover up for what they had done. They were relying on themselves. You know, the right response for Adam and Eve, but it would have been the same one that you and I must have. Adam and Eve should have just stood there naked before God and said, Father, we have sinned against you. We've made a mess. Can you please come clean this up? We're so desperate for you to cover our shame and to cover our nakedness. We are completely dependent on you. God is so merciful. He did cover their shame and their nakedness. He did. He sacrificed an animal. So an animal had to die in order for their shame to be covered which points to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, who died on a cross to cover our shame, but beyond to cover it, to endure it, to remove our shame. When he was on the cross, naked and broken, dying for you and me, and giving us his holiness, his righteousness, his grace, undeserved favor. And so what you see here is when we are self-reliant, we are not grateful for the grace of God. May we rely on him. Are you today trying to clean yourself up? Are you trying on your own to make right 
what you did wrong? Are you on your own trying to cover up your shame? Are you relying on yourself to fix things rather than just crying out to God and saying, God, you will deliver me. Will you allow God's grace to cover you, to engulf you, to penetrate deep into your soul and to begin to change your heart that you will echo back praise and thanksgiving toward God who is worthy. Ephesians 5, verse 20 says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. It's interesting. It says, Give thanks always and for everything to God. Everything. Even the the things that are difficult, we trust God with them, and we say, thank you for your presence in the middle of this dark valley. Our God is so good to us. We have so many good gifts from him. It's so easy for us to focus on the gifts and forget that we're to love the giver of the gifts. So may we love the giver of the gifts more than the gifts themselves. So if you want to have more thankful heart, a couple of last thoughts and we'll close. If you want to have more thankful heart, I encourage you to honestly beg God. Pray. Ask him, God, give me more gratitude. Help me to value, to truly treasure your grace. Remind me of my sin. Help me to hate my sin so that I will see more glory in your grace and it will produce in me thankfulness. And so we need to ask God to help us to be more thankful. Secondly, I would say, intentionally think about your blessings. I mean this. Count them. Write them down. Write down that God's been good to you. My wife is so good about this and having a journal and writing down, and and she's made a point to write down what she's thankful for on one day, and then the next day write down some new things that you're thankful for. And so this is something that we can adopt in, in writing down and going back and reviewing the list of things that we're honestly thankful for. And we must daily repent of our ingratitude and repent of our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance, repent of our pride, treasure his grace so that we can then respond with hearts that are truly thankful, with hearts that are missional, and hearts that are dependent upon God to sustain us. Jesus died for you and me on the cross to make a way. How could we not respond with gratitude? Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we experience your presence through your spirit together, your very spirit that binds each one of us, as each one of us in this room that loves you and is your disciple, Jesus, We all confess you are our king, and we are so thankful to you. We cannot say thank you enough. But this morning together as a faith family, we cry out together and we say thank you for our redemption. Thank you. I pray right now for anyone in this room, Father, that you know who they are, that maybe are grappling with this truth, that they've never repented. They've never expressed a complete trust in you alone, and they're, they're trying to live life on their own, and it's become very burdensome to them. 
I pray that he or she would repent and turn to you and experience your joy and your peace. For they can have it today if they'll just call out to you with their faith and repentance. We praise you for you are worthy and you deserve our gratitude. We worship you alone, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.